Good morning, church. How you guys doing? You excited to be here? Woo! I like it. If you are new with us, whether you are in the room or if you're tuning in online right now and this is your first time, my name is Pete. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor. And I'm really excited that you chose today to check out our church because we're starting a brand new series called Set the Table that I'm really, really excited about. And I want to begin right off the bat by making a specific request. If you're someone who considers Life Church Buffalo to be your home church, could I encourage you to really make it a priority to be here for each of the three weeks of this series? This is going to be a very important season for us as a church. As I cast some fresh vision about who we are as a church, why does the church exist, and what type of church are we? So I just want to thank you in advance for making it a priority to be here for each week of this series. Get us all on the same page. This is actually the second time I'm preaching the series. I did this about five and a half years ago before three quarters of you were ever here. We were barely a church of 200 at the time. Now we're a church of almost 1,000. And I want to really get us all on the same page. So what are we talking about when I say set the table? What kind of series is this going to be? Well, let me begin with this analogy. When you think about a table... It's not really that impressive, right? It's a very simple piece of furniture, four legs, a flat surface, you know, and we do various types of things at the table. We don't think about it much because they're everywhere. Uh, we have them next to our beds. We have end tables next to our couch. We have coffee tables. We have dining room tables. We have conference room tables at work. Various types of tables with various activities that happen at those tables. But even though it's simple and we don't think about it much, I would argue that the table is probably the most important piece of furniture we have in our homes. And the reason I say that is because when you think about the most significant moments of your lives, the most important conversations that you've had in your lives, chances are they happened while seated at a table. Maybe the person you're sitting next to now, if you're married, you began your relationship with that person. That spark first started on your first date, likely at a restaurant, out to dinner, at a table. Or maybe if you're not married, maybe you know, you're someone who likes to visit coffee shops with a best friend and you just talk about life, you talk about your dreams, you talk about your fears, and those conversations happen while seated at a bistro table with your best friend. Or maybe you grew up in a family that was in the habit of, you know, several times a week having family dinners. I know that's not as common of a thing that families do today, but my son actually a couple weeks ago said, hey, mom and dad, could we at least once a week start having family dinner in the dining room seated at the table together? And we're like, absolutely, son. And so we're now beginning to do that and have that practice. Or maybe you had, you know, family game night growing up. Uh, that's something we've also started to do. We played Ticket to Ride the other night, and so we're enjoying family game nights at the dining room table. Or maybe, you know, your family was like mine when dad would say, hey, we got to have a family meeting. And that meant that everyone had to gather around the dining room table because there was a discussion that we needed to have as a family. Maybe there was an important decision that, you know, he needed to bring us up to speed out or he wanted to get the opinion or, you know, thoughts of, of his children on that. And so I think the table might be the most important piece of furniture we have in our lives because of the fact it's the place where the most important conversations of our lives happen. 
And it's for that reason I like to make the analogy that the church is like a table. It's like a table where the most important conversations of our lives happen. Think about it. This is the place where we gather every single week and we talk about life. We talk about relationships. We just finished a five-week series on relationships. We talk about loss. We talk about pain. We talk about fear. We talk about faith. We talk about spiritual matters and God. And so for the next several weeks, I want to unpack this concept of the church being like a table. And I want to answer or try to answer the question of why do we exist as a church and what type of table specifically are we? And what is your place, what is my place at the table of the church? So I know that there are a lot of different types of tables, but when it comes to my favorite, I like the table that you eat at. So the dining room table is my favorite, because those of you that know me know that I love to eat some food, and so the dining room table is my absolute favorite. Now let me ask you guys a question. How many of you enjoy eating at buffets? All you can eat buffets, come on, where my, where my foodies at, right? Not as many people as I thought. So growing up, I had, I have very fond memories of our family going out to eat after church. And because we were a family of six, it was often, you know, we tried to do this as cheaply as possible. Because my brother and I had the appetites, even though we were boys, we had the appetites of men. And uh, we had to find some place that could feed us a lot of food for as cheaply as possible. And so because of that, we often found ourselves at a place that actually no longer exists anymore. How many of you guys remember Ponderosa? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the jam when I was a kid. Like, you can actually order a meal there, but as kids, we weren't allowed to order a meal because my dad was like, why would I waste the money on a meal when there's a buffet that you can go up to as many times as you want? And there were actually some decent options at the buffet. Until we discovered another all-you-can-eat buffet, Golden Corral. Oh, yeah, that took the all-you-can-eat buffet experience to a whole nother level, didn't it? I mean, there were different types of cuisines there, different stations, and it was absolutely amazing. Once we discovered the Golden Corral, when Ponderosa was suggested as an option of a place we can go, we're like, no, we don't want Ponderosa, we want Golden Corral. Fun fact about me, actually, is that my very first job as a teenager was at Ponderosa. When I turned 16 years old, my parents were like, you're 16, you're getting a job. So literally, the day of my 16th birthday, my parents are driving me around town to fill out applications at local businesses and restaurants, and I got a call back from Ponderosa. And so I started at $4.10 an hour as a buffet attendant. So for those of you students in the room who are complaining about your $13 an hour minimum wage job, I don't want to hear about it, all right? <laughs> After six months of working at Ponderosa, I had my first review, and it was exemplary. Like I was, there was nothing bad they said. They said, you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. And as a reward for your good work, we're giving you a raise. We're giving you a 10 cent an hour raise. Yeah. I went from 4.10 an hour to 4.20 an hour. I'm like, thanks for the extra 40 cents on my paycheck. But here's what I discovered working at Ponderosa. I discovered that church people love them some buffets, don't they? When I had to work on Sundays, it was the busiest day of the week. And you could just tell who the church people were. Some of them were dressed up, but it was like, I kind of hated working on Sundays because 
the church people weren't always the nicest. But church people really do love them some buffets. But like when I was a kid, I loved going to buffet because as a growing boy with a growing appetite, I could, I could consume as much as I want, but I had the appetite and the metabolism to deal with the amount of calories that I consumed. But as I've grown older, I don't like going to buffets as much anymore, and here's why. Because my metabolism has slowed down a little bit, and I tend to consume way more calories than I'm able to burn off. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, I still enjoy the food, but I don't, I haven't, I don't know where the off switch is. I, I feel compelled to go up to the buffet as many times as possible and just, I've got to try every option on the buffet because I've got to get my money's worth, especially at Chinese buffets. I don't know what it is about Chinese buffets, but like I could be full to the gills. I've gone up five times, but I see them bringing out a fresh, you know, pan of egg rolls. It's like, oh, must have more. Like we tend to consume more than we can burn off. And I've discovered in church life growing up that church can become like a buffet where we consume way more than we actually use or can burn up. Isn't that true? We can treat the church like a buffet where we consume way more than we can burn off. And I've experienced this growing up. I grew up a PK, I was a preacher's kid, and like it was a smorgasbord of ministry opportunities. And as a kid, like we were in church every time the doors were opened and they were opened a lot. Like it was Sunday morning services and then we had Sunday night services every single week. It was Tuesday night ladies Bible study, Wednesday midweek service, Thursday night prayer, Friday night youth group, Saturday morning men's breakfast, and then we start the whole thing all over again the next Sunday. It was a smorgasbord of ministry opportunities trying to offer something to everyone. And some of you are like, ah, yeah, I remember those days. What's wrong with that? Those were good things. And I'm, I'm not saying that those are bad things. But what I am saying is that the danger, see, when we treat the church like a buffet, what can wind up happening is that when there are limitless options at the buffet, we can find ourselves seated at the table of the church buffet, consuming all of the ministry opportunities, all of the programs, all of the events, all of the gatherings. But what we can't see is the world behind us who are spiritually starving because our backs are to them. We can spend all of our time in the church, consumed with the church, while we don't see the world who is spiritually starving and going to hell because we don't see them, our backs are to them because we're at the table of the church buffet. You see that? And some of you who grew up in church like I did know exactly what I'm talking about. Which is why at this church, at Life Church Buffalo, I would rather us be a five-star restaurant for the hungry than a spiritual buffet for Christians. I want us as a church to be a five-star restaurant for the spiritually hungry, not a buffet for Christians where we just come and consume and overeat while we ignore the world around us, who is desperately hungry to taste and see what we get to experience every single week. So we're not gonna be a buffet with limitless options. We're gonna be a five-star restaurant we don't offer many things, 
But what we do offer, I believe, is the greatest thing that this world needs, which is Jesus. An authentic encounter with Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that is going to satisfy the hunger that people in this world have. We want to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, not a buffet for Christians. That's why I believe one of the main reasons the church exists is to set the table for people who are hungry. Not for us as Christians just to come to consume at the table of the church buffet, but we are here as the church to set the table for people who need to taste and see just how good God is. In fact, I want to share with you something that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century. And if you are here today as somebody who's not familiar with the biblical narrative, the Apostle Paul actually started out as somebody who hated the idea of Christianity. He was a religious leader in Judaism, which is the religion of the Jews, and he hated Christianity, thought it was a cult, and wanted to stomp it out. And so he spent most of his time and energy persecuting Christians, throwing Christians in jail, even oversaw the stoning of one Christian. And on his way to a city called Damascus, his life was turned upside down when he encountered the resurrected Christ. Jesus changed him, and he went from someone who was persecuting Christians to someone who spent the rest of his life planting churches and telling as many people as he could about this Jesus that had changed him. And one of the churches that Paul planted was in a city called Corinth, which is in Greece. And that church had kind of lost its way and had forgotten what was really important in church. And I want to read you a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Everyone say first importance. And here's what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul said that what I received as of first importance from Jesus himself, I am passing on to you. And then what he went on to describe is known as the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to die for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again and lives forevermore to give us life eternal and life abundant. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is of first importance in your church. It's of first importance. Unfortunately for many Christians, the good news becomes old news if we've been at this for a while. Once we've been following Jesus for a long time, we you know, kind of get into the rhythm of going to church and 20 years later, we're like, yeah, that was good news 20 years ago when I was broken and hurting and needed help. But now today, it's just like, it doesn't seem to have the same impact. Listen, church, I don't know about you, but I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 40 years, the good news never stops being the good news. His mercies are new every single morning, and I need Jesus just as much today as I did the day I accepted him as my Lord and Savior when I was six years old. The good news never stops being the good news. The gospel is of first importance in our lives and in our church. There are a lot of good things we could do as a church but nothing is as important as sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who are broken. They need to hear and understand that there is hope for them, that there is forgiveness for them, that there is freedom found when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that he came to bring life and life more abundant. 
Unfortunately, in many churches, programs have replaced the gospel. People bring on more ministries, more programs, more events, more gatherings. And again, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad things, but when we replace the gospel as so first importance with programs, we've gotten our priorities out of order. The gospel has to remain of first importance in the church. Good things should never replace the good news. The gospel has to be of first importance in the church. So that's why as a church, as Life Church Buffalo, we want to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, not a spiritual buffet for Christians. How many of you have ever been to a five-star restaurant before? How many of you ever had a fine dining experience? Okay, not many of you, some of you. Did you ever notice that at a fine dining restaurant, the menu is often very short, very simple, usually on one page, maybe sometimes two, but never more than that. They don't offer you a ton of options, but the few things that they do offer you are done really, really well. But not all restaurants are like that. How many of you have ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? My wife likes that place. Not me, not so much. I remember the first time I went to the Cheesecake Factory. Now, since then, I've found some things that I enjoy and I don't mind going there. But the first time I went there, they dropped this 32-page book in front of you (laughs) that is their menu with 156 options to choose from. And as a foodie who cares a lot, I got to make the right choice when it comes to the meal that I eat. So I have to read the description of every single item on the menu. And the the waitress came by like five times, like, are you ready to order yet? Half hour later, I'm like, no, I'm not ready yet. I got to finish reading this book you gave me. This is an important decision. (laughs) But listen, as a church, I don't want someone who walks through the doors that's spiritually hungry to be handed a 23-page menu listing all of the activities and options that they could participate in, but never really give them what they need. I don't want to detail for them the 156 options of things that they could choose from, but never tell them about the most important thing that they need, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to satisfy the hunger in their souls. We have to keep the most important thing, the most important thing, which is the gospel. And somewhere along the way, I feel like the church made following Jesus just a little bit too complicated. You gotta do this, attend that, say this prayer, do this thing, do that thing. I don't wanna make church or following Jesus complicated for people who are spiritually hungry. So at this church, if we're gonna be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, and five-star restaurants have very simple menus, then at our church, our menu is gonna be very simple, and at the top of the menu is our mission statement. What we are offering, why we exist, is to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. Jesus is on the menu. We are here to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. We are all about the gospel. All right, and then as we present Jesus to our community and to those that would come through our doors and want to be a part of this community, we're going to be about three things. Three things that are listed on the menu of Life Church Buffalo underneath the mission of helping people know and follow Jesus step by step. And the first thing is weekend. The weekend. We want to offer excellent weekend experiences 
where people can experience the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit through life-giving worship, God-centered worship, and learn about how the Bible applies to their lives through relevant, engaging, and helpful messages. So evangelism is our focus on the weekend. This is why we encourage you to constantly bring people in your life that you know who don't yet know Jesus because when you bring them here, they're gonna have an opportunity to experience the presence of God and hear the Bible taught in a way that maybe they've never heard it taught before. Evangelism is our focus. We say it this way, on the weekend, we reach and teach with excellence. We want to reach people who are far from God and teach people how to follow Jesus step by step. And we want to do it with excellence. And why do we focus on excellence? Well, because excellence honors God and excellence inspires people. I heard a saying years ago and it has stuck with me and it's become part of the culture of our church. And if you've been through growth path, then you've heard this. Excellence creates comfort. Comfort creates openness. And openness is what we're after. That's what a five-star restaurant knows. Like if you can do things excellently, it makes people feel comfortable and all of a sudden they're open to whatever it is you wanna serve them. And as a church, we want people to walk through the doors. Listen, you don't know what kind of baggage people have when they walk through the doors of the church. But if you can help to lower their defenses by providing them with an excellent experience and anticipating their needs and providing an excellent environment for their kids to learn about Jesus at their level and have fun while they do it, while we take care of them here and do things with excellence, all of a sudden they're open now because they're comfortable and they're open to hear a message that has the potential to change their lives, their family, and their even their eternal destiny. We reach and teach with excellence on the weekend. But the second thing that we're going to be about as a church, the second thing on our menu is community. Listen, we're called to make disciples, not converts. And so this is where our focus on discipleship comes into play. Because we're going to be a church of small groups and really encourage people to get plugged into a small group where they can pursue and experience authentic community and spiritual growth. Authentic community I define as accountability, belonging, and care. And spiritual growth to me is defined as growing in your intimacy with God, your influence with those inside the church, or your community with those inside the church, and your influence with those outside the church. Growing in three vital relationships, that is spiritual growth. And we can't really grow spiritually if we're not connected relationally. That's why we say in community, we belong and become with authenticity. These are our vision and our values. That's why we've got it on the wall in our foyer and on the inside cover of our bulletins. In community, we belong and become with authenticity because when you get into a group of people that you can begin to trust and who know you and you do life with and you feel comfortable enough to remove the mask and be your authentic self, you experience that sense of belonging. And once you experience, okay, I belong here, I can trust people here, then you're set free to become the person that God has called you to become, a fully devoted follower of Christ. In community, we belong and become with authenticity. This is where people grow in their faith. So the weekend is about evangelism. Community is about discipleship. But the third thing we're gonna be about as a church is outreach. Outreach, listen, if the only thing we ever do as a church happens within these four walls, once a week, we have completely missed the point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because the people in our community that we've been called to reach don't care what we do in here on Sundays. 
They don't care what we know until they know how much we care. And so we're going to be a church that intentionally moves outside the four walls of the building to show the love of Jesus to people in very real and practical ways with no strings attached. And so we say it this way, through outreach, we love and serve with intentionality. Why intentionality? Well, because the Christian life is not about a a series of random acts of kindness, but instead it's about a pattern of intentional acts of Christ-likeness. Through outreach, we love and serve with intentionality. That's what Serve Day yesterday was all about. At least four times a year, we want to be intentional about mobilizing you to get outside the four walls of the church and demonstrate the love of Jesus to the people in our community by meeting practical needs as a way to tell them and show them, say, hey, you matter to us. You matter to God. Jesus loves you. We love you. And we plant those seeds so that when a time comes in their life where the bottom falls out, they'll remember that there was a church who showed the love of Jesus to them. And they're saying, you know what? Maybe I'll go to church this weekend. And when they come, hopefully the table has been set for them to experience something excellent. And they get to eat the greatest meal they've ever had, which is Jesus. That's it. Weekend, community, outreach. Three simple things that we offer as a church while we present helping people know and follow Jesus step by step. Jesus is the main course and weekend community and outreach, our vision and our values, that's how we present Jesus to our church. Those are the three side dishes, if you will, with the main course of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Because listen, we don't want church to be complicated for people who are just hungry. We don't want it to be complicated for people who are hungry. That's why I want everything we do as a church to be as simple as it can be. That's why I want our processes and our systems to be simple, to onboard you into the different things that we have to offer. That's why I want the preaching to be as simple as it possibly can be. And I've been criticized over the years for being overly simplistic in my preaching. Because some people who grew up in church want a church where the pastor is going to dive into deep theological matters and explain the Christological view of, you know, end times and all this stuff. And listen, there's a time and a place for that. And I'm not afraid to talk about deep things. I'm not, a talk, I'm not afraid to talk about theology. But listen, I want, you, I want to speak to this for a moment. Like, I recognize every time I take this stage, I'm communicating to two different audiences simultaneously. There are a group of people in our church some of whom are completely biblically illiterate, didn't grow up in church, don't know what the Bible says, don't know what it means, certainly don't know how to apply it to their lives. And at the same time, I've got people who've been following Jesus for 50 years who need a nugget of truth to be able to grow in their relationship with God. And so I work very hard at my craft as a communicator of the gospel to present the truth on a shelf low enough for even the most biblically illiterate person to be able to say, I actually understand what he's talking about. I can take something away from that. And yet at the same time, the most seasoned follower of Jesus can say, you know what? I grew in my relationship with Jesus this week. My mother-in-law is over 70 years old. She lives with us. And almost every single week that I come home from church, she says, Peter, it never ceases to amaze me that I've been following Jesus as long as I have. And every week I come to church, I learn something new and I'm growing in my relationship with God. That's why my preaching is the way it is. Listen, we all know people in our lives, whether it's friends or family members, coworkers or neighbors, 
whatever, like who are spiritually starving. And we want to encourage you as a church to be a part of helping to set the table for them to come and experience a great experience and a great meal. That Jesus is the greatest thing that they'll ever taste. He's the only one that's gonna satisfy that hunger. Have you ever, speaking of being hungry, have you ever um, like gone into your kitchen and opened the refrigerator doors and it might be full of food, but you look and you're like, there's nothing to eat. You know what I'm talking about? My wife was laughing at, laughing at me last night because I have this habit, like every time I walk into the kitchen, it's just an automatic reflex. I go to the fridge and I open the fridge and I'm like, I could have eaten five minutes ago, but I still want to look and see what's inside. And so we look inside and we're like, oh, there's nothing to eat. And the truth is you might have a fridge full of stuff and you might have a pantry full of stuff, but at the moment, nothing that you're looking at seems particularly appetizing. And I think that's what people in the world who don't know Jesus are doing every single day of their lives. They're looking in the refrigerator of options that the world has to offer. And they've tried it all, but nothing really seems to satisfy that hunger in their souls that never goes away. They're looking, but nothing has satisfied. And that's why when they go looking for a better meal and they decide, you know what, I haven't tried church yet. Let me go to church this weekend. We wanna make sure that when they come, the table's been set for them. We've thought about their arrival. We've anticipated the things that they might need because listen, a couple weeks ago at our all access meet and greet, I met somebody who hadn't been to church in 40 years. 40 years, hadn't walked through the doors of a church. Do you know what kind of fear and intimidation people who have not been to church in 40 years and maybe they haven't been to church in that long because the last time they went, it was a really bad experience and they were carrying a lot of baggage and church hurt. So we wanna make sure that we open the doors with a smile. We greet them with warmth. We give them a high five. We show them where to go. We show them where the kids area is. We help set their kids at ease if they have kids. We walk them in here and everything is done with intentionality because we want them to have an excellent experience because excellence creates comfort and comfort creates openness. And openness is what we're after as we try to present Jesus to them, the greatest meal they'll ever have. That they would taste and see how good God is. So you wanna know what matters most at this church? It's what the Apostle Paul said. It's the gospel. The gospel is a first priority in this church. We are all about the gospel. We are all about helping people experience the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We're all about spiritually starving people coming and tasting and seeing just how good God is. We're all about spiritually dead people coming back to life. We're all about seeing people broken, be set free and healed. We're all about people who are spiritually blind, having their eyes open. We're all about those who are bound in addiction, being set free and healed in Jesus' name. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ that does that. The gospel is a first priority in our church, which means we're gonna have to say no to some good things in order to do what's most important. Man, God is really saying amen to this message. Like the thunder that is happening outside right now. No, but if the gospel is a first priority in our church, 
We're going to have to say no to some really good things in order to do what's most important. Because here's the truth. If everything is important, then nothing is important. So I'm not saying that like food pantries and knitting ministries and men's ministry and all these other things that we could do as a church that are good things. I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that if we want to keep the gospel our first priority, we're going to say no to some things that other churches might decide to say yes to in order for us to stay focused on what God has called us to do, which is serving the best meal in town, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being about weekend, community, and outreach. And the larger we grow as a church, the easier it's going to be to try and add more programs and more ministries and more things and more things so that we can just come and consume and consume and overeat. But we can never forget that there is a world we've been called to reach. And our job as the church is not to come to church. Our job is to be the church and set the table who are, for people who are hungry and need to taste and see that God is good. Amen. Amen. Because at a five-star restaurant, it's not always just about the food, right? It's about the overall experience. When you go to a five-star restaurant, they want to provide you with the ultimate dining experience to go along with the ultimate meal. And it usually starts in the parking lot. A lot of five-star restaurants don't even have self-parking. The only option is to valet because they want to begin from the moment you drive onto the property by taking care of you. And then you walk in and you know you're at a high-end restaurant when you don't have only one waiter, you have two. One who's responsible for only filling your water every time it gets more than halfway empty. And then you got another waiter who's gonna take your order and bring out your food. You know you're at a high-end restaurant when between courses, the waiter comes around with that four inch long, like silver, slightly curved stick that like, it's like a crumb clearer. And they really quickly like sweep up all the crumbs and kind of just brush it off the table. And all of a sudden you've got a clean place setting between courses. It's like, oh, this is fancy. You know, you're at a high end restaurant when you get up to go to the bathroom. And by the time you get back, your napkin, which you threw on your plate or on your chair has been neatly folded and placed back to your, next to your plate again. Everything they do is done with intentionality, from the decor to the music to the volume of the music, because they want to provide you with the ultimate dining experience to accompany what they hope is the greatest meal that you'll ever have that'll make you want to come back and tell your friends, you got to check this place out. Everything is done with intentionally with intentionality. And so spiritually speaking, if we want to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, that's why we want to do things with excellence. That's why we want to love and serve with intentionality because we want everything you experience while you're here in the 75 minutes you're here. Listen, we only got you for 75 minutes. There are six other days in a week, 167 hours that you're not here, that you're hearing a whole lot of other messages. You're being bombarded by messages from this world. You're being bombarded by the lies of the enemy. And so we want the experience here to be so significant, so like excellent that you're like, I've never, I want this to be the best thing you think about all week. That when you leave here, you're like, man, I didn't experience anything like that all week. I'm refreshed. I'm encouraged. I'm hopeful. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I want more. That's what we want. And so I wanted to do something that would illustrate this principle for you guys today of the difference between going to a buffet and eating a really nice meal at a five-star restaurant. 
And so I have asked the one and only Miss Alice Clarkson, chef extraordinaire, to prepare something really tasty for me today to show you. Oh my gosh, look at this. This is absolutely amazing. I know some of you can't see this, but we've got a cameraman that I'm going to just like, look at this. That's a porterhouse, baby. That is USDA choice grade A beef right there. Some of you guys like the filet. That's too small for me and it's too lean. All right, some of you guys like the strip because it's got more flavor. I say, why not get the best of both worlds and get the porterhouse? Porterhouse is a T-bone where on one side of the T, you've got the strip. You got the flavor there with some extra fat. And then the other side of the T, you got the filet. You got the tenderness there. Probably my favorite cut of beef, maybe next to the ribeye because the ribeye is the most flavorful steak you can get because it's got the most fat. And the flavor is in the fat. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm gonna help you guys out. When you go to a five-star restaurant, there's only one thing you get. There's only one thing you order. You don't get the seafood. You definitely don't get the chicken. When you go to a high-end restaurant, there's only one thing you order. And you know what it is? Oh yeah, yeah, you get the steak. Because at a high-end restaurant, usually they're known for their steaks. Because listen, I'm just gonna help myself to this incredible piece of beef here that Alice cooked up for me, oh my goodness. Because when you cut into a well-cooked, perfectly seasoned, dry-aged steak, Excuse me a moment. I'm having a moment here. Mm. There is nothing like it. Oh my gosh. So I know what some of you were thinking. Like, wow, this church is really awesome. They serve porterhouse steaks. Like, are we all going to get a steak today? No. My name ain't Oprah. <laughs> By the way, you know how Christians like their steak cooked? Well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> Actually, I'm just kidding. If you order anything over medium rare, you are ruining steak. Stop. I literally die a little inside when I'm out to dinner with somebody who orders their steak well done. I'm like, why would you spend the money and ruin a good piece of meat that a cow gave his life for by turning it into shoe leather? Medium rare is where it's at, folks. It's the right temperature. It's the right tenderness. It's juicy. Oh. Mm. That is where it's at, you guys. Alice, great job. Mm. Mm. That is what we want people to experience when they come to our church. Not a buffet, but a five-star restaurant serving up the greatest meal in town. And I'm talking about Jesus, you guys. Jesus. You know, Jesus one time said something really controversial that ticked a lot of people off, confused a lot of people. 
Um, a lot of people left him after he said it. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you might be familiar with in John chapter 6, the story of how when Jesus fed uh, 5,000 people, it was actually probably closer to 15 or 20,000 people. It was 5,000 men, but scholars estimate that once you include the women and children, it's probably closer to 15 or 20,000. You know, Jesus had been teaching all day, and uh, it was getting late into the evening, and his disciples came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, you know, people are getting hungry. Let's send them away so they can, you know, go get something to eat. And Jesus was like, you feed them. And the disciples are like, how? It would take more than a year's wages to feed all these people. What do you expect us to do? And so Jesus was like, well, what do you have? And they found a boy there. I'm sure you know the story, who had five loaves of bread and two meager fish. What are we going to do with all that? Jesus is like, bring it to me. And so he breaks it, blesses it, gives it to the disciples, and Jesus does a miracle, multiplies the bread and the fish as they pass it out to 15,000 plus people, and it never ran out. And so much, there was leftovers for the disciples to each take a doggy bag home. And so they're like, this is amazing. This Jesus just makes food appear. He gives us free food. Like, we want more of that. And so after everyone kind of dispersed and Jesus sent the disciples to the other side of the lake, he followed them, you know, walked on water. That whole story kind of freaked them out. But uh, they knew that he was going to the other side of the lake. So they kind of went there and kind of headed him off. And it's kind of funny when you read John 6, they're like, oh, Jesus, when did you get here? They, they knew that he was going to be there and they wanted to be there too because they wanted to see more miracles. They wanted more free food. And so Jesus says to them, like, you're just, you're just coming to me because I fed you yesterday. And then he says something to them in, in verse 35 of chapter 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And they're like, well, that sounds really good, Jesus. You're kind of like this divine baker. You're the eternal baker where you just make bread and give it away. And so you're saying, Jesus, that if we just come to you, Mr. Bread of Life, every time we're hungry, you'll just give us more free food. Your bakery gives away free samples. And so we'll never be hungry as long as you keep giving us free food. And they kind of missed it because they were thinking about actual bread, like carbs. But Jesus wasn't talking about something physical. He was talking about something spiritual. And then he said something that really freaked some people out. In verse 53, I'm going to read it to you. John 6, verse 53. He said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. This was like freak out factor. This is a hard saying, like, oh my gosh, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? We're not joining some cannibalistic cult here. That's what some people thought. It says many people left him after that, but they didn't understand that he wasn't talking about actually eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He was connecting their physical hunger to their spiritual hunger. And he was saying, unless you partake of me, unless you experience me, and he was talking about what he would do for them in a little while when he would give his life on the cross and pour out his blood so that their sins can be forgiven and they could receive him into themselves. He says, until you experience me, you're always going to be hungry. But once you take me in, then you will never be hungry again. He was talking about their spiritual hunger. 
And most people are going to the buffet of this world, trying all of the different options to satisfy that hunger. Well, maybe if I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I won't be so lonely anymore. Maybe if I give myself to my career, I'll, I'll, I'll feel some, some worth because of my accomplishment and I won't feel so worthless. Maybe having more money will make me happy. Maybe buying something new will numb that pain of feeling like my life doesn't matter much. Maybe having kids will help me not feel so lonely. They're going to the buffet of the world trying all of these different options, but nothing really ever satisfies. Listen, you can fill your life with a bunch of junk food, but what you really need is a steak. What you really need is Jesus, because only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus brings true joy. Only Jesus brings real hope. Only Jesus satisfies that hunger in our souls. You gotta experience me, he said. So the question that some of us have, maybe you're a Christian and you've been following Jesus a while and you come from a paradigm where you thought or believed that the church is for Christians. The church exists for you. And now you're thinking, well, wait, maybe if, if you're saying that if my job is to set the table for people who are hungry, where does that leave me? If, if I'm supposed to, like, be a part of setting the table, do, do I get to eat too? Like, I've experienced the meal. Jesus has changed my life. But if, if my job now is not to just come and consume, but to actually set the table, am I going to get to eat as well? Well, we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks and answer that question. So I would really encourage you to come back. But let me just leave you with this question, if you will, in response to that, this thought. When you invite people over to your house for dinner, do you stand on the side and watch them eat? Or do you get to eat with them? Of course you eat too. That's the beautiful thing about being the church is that we may set the table for people who are spiritually hungry and starving, but we get to come to the table and eat with them too. We're nourished, we're filled. But I'm telling you, if you will take the posture and position of a servant who, while you get to eat at the table, every once in a while you push away from the table to help set the table and serve those who are coming to the table, you will forever be ruined on just being a consumer of Christianity when you know that God used you to play a part in someone else's story of life change. There is nothing more rewarding than to know that you played a part in setting the table, creating the environment in which someone felt comfortable enough to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction and say, yes, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I wanna follow you. When you know that God used you to help create the environment where that happened, you'll never be content to just come and consume at the table without serving as well. Because that rewarding feeling, it's like, man, God used me. I taught a, a kid's life class where, where kids experienced Jesus. And while I was watching and teaching them, mom got to ex experience the greatest meal ever and gave her life to Jesus. I was a part of that. That's exciting to me. I advanced the lyrics on the screen so that people could sing along and experience things with excellence. I'm telling you, there's nothing more rewarding than to know that God used you to create the environment where you set the table, where people got to taste the steak.
got to taste and see how good God is. Because listen, at the end of the day, Christ has called us to be spiritual contributors, not just consumers. We're called to be contributors, not just consumers. And so if this message has challenged you in any way, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been coming and you've been enjoying the meal that we're serving here at Life Church Buffalo, but you've never really done your part to help set the table, can I just encourage you to consider taking Growth Path next month? Every month, the first and second Sunday of the month, we provide this opportunity during a Sunday morning experience where you can learn a little bit more about how God has uniquely wired you with a specific set of gifts, talents, and abilities so that you can do your part in setting the table because it takes a lot of different people to set the table. And it takes a lot of different gifts. And we wanna help equip and empower and release you to be the church and do your part in setting the table so that we can keep providing the greatest meal that people will experience. So I challenge you, if you've not served yet in any capacity, maybe sign up for Growth Path next month. Grab that yellow Next Steps card. Just mark the box that says, yeah, I want to attend Growth Path and we'll connect you. We'll get you signed up for next month. We're spiritual contributors, not consumers. We're going to be a five-star restaurant for the hungry, not a buffet for Christians. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just the conviction that comes from your Holy Spirit when we dive into your word and we look at some of the harder things that you've said. And God, I pray that as Christ followers, if we've ever viewed the church as something that existed exclusively for us, God, I pray that we would take our cues from you and look at the people that you shared meals with. Look at the people that you sat at tables with. Prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, the outcasts of society. And may we reframe our perspective, our paradigm about who the church is for. And Lord, may we take seriously the call to follow your example to serve others that we wouldn't only just consume at the table. Yes, we'll get to eat. Yes, we'll get to be nourished and strengthened and encouraged. But we're also called to set the table, to do our parts in creating that environment for people who are hungry. Maybe you're thinking about the people in your lives who are hungry that need to come and experience this. Maybe God's laying them on your heart so that you would invite them or share your faith with them. God, I pray that this wouldn't be a message that we just do nothing with, but that we would actually take action, that that conviction would turn to action as we make a decision to do something with our faith, to contribute, not just consume. And I don't wanna pass this opportunity up. Every week we have new people walk through the doors and I never know where they're at on their spiritual journey. And if you're somebody in here today who is part of that crowd that has kind of, resisted church you've not really taken Jesus in and you've been sampling all the different options the world has to offer relationships sex drugs success achievement whatever it is and you still you're empty this morning I want to provide you the opportunity to surrender that and try Jesus to receive him Jesus said in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and lets me in, I will come in and dine with them and they with me. He wants to come into your heart, come into your life. 
and turn your life upside down and all it takes is a decision on your part to say, you know what, Jesus, I confess my sin to you and I, I believe that you are the son of God, that you died for me and that you rose again. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you here today, I would just ask you to simply raise your hand so that we can pray with you and welcome you into God's family. Is there anybody here that says, yes, that's me. I'm done trying the options on the buffet of this world. I want a five-star meal. I want to taste and see if Jesus is really as good as you say he is. Is there anybody here today that says, I want a relationship with Jesus and know that my sins have been forgiven? Just raise your hand. Well, God, I thank you for my church. I thank you for the people in this room and that you are building us into a family and a spiritual community that is gonna do its best to stay focused on the main thing, that we are going to keep the gospel as of first importance in everything we do. Help us to live this out tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, not just at church, but Lord, our lives would revolve around our call as followers of Jesus to see the people in our lives who need what we have. Lord, would we be willing and ready to share the reason for the hope that we cling to? Lord, I thank you for this family, my church family. God, continue to lead us. Help us to reach the people you've called us to reach in this community. Help us to do the best that we can in setting the table, providing an excellent experience as they taste you. Because I know that you are good. They'll never experience anything like you once they taste you. So Lord, may we continue to be a people who don't see the good news as old news, but it's fresh every day. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence in this place. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I hope this was a challenging and encouraging message. I really want to encourage you guys to please stay seated. Stay seated for just a couple more moments. I know that generally we dismiss the Dream Team members, but I always want to make sure we're respecting the moment where people who might have just said yes to a relationship with Jesus have the opportunity to hear about how we can help them and come alongside of them in this new journey as a follower of Jesus. But I really want to encourage you guys to come back next week as we continue this conversation and we start diving into what our role at the table is and uh, different ways that we can be a part of that. So as the Dream Team members are now getting into position, I just want to say how much I love you, church. I don't take for granted the opportunity and the responsibility to be your pastor and to lead you into the plans and purposes that God has for our church specifically in the Western New York area. And so I'm excited to see what God's gonna continue to do in us and through us as we follow him step by step. Have a great week, you guys. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.